0: Of Ethereal Femme, Lore Keeper, the podcast. I'm your host, Nimbly, your high-femme, comforting friend, and Lore Keeper. Um, I'm super excited today to have Sailor Otome join me for a conversation about Zelda. Uh, She's someone who I really, really admire that I met through Twitter, through her love of Maho Shoujo and all things magical girl and um, pink and beautiful. And I Don't want to gush too much because I want to give her the opportunity to introduce herself, so feel free to take the floor.
1: Hey, everybody. Friendly noises. I'm Sailor Odomay. Yeah, as she said, I um, am a lover of everything magical. I promote social love and justice and also mutual love for everything romantic, so... Um, I review and game things like that as well, including making it more, making the world of romance a little bit more big for everybody, for inclusive, for inclusivity, and also for my BIPOC babes as well.
0: I love that. And I really, really look up to you um, for that. And I, like I said, I live for your Twitter posts. And I know that you're not new to Twitch, maybe, but like you've started your streaming journey within the last year.
1: It's a, it's a, Definite struggle, but yes, I am learning as I go on.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm like quickly realizing that like I have two different screens now, so now I don't have to make like accident oopsies of like, why is there a sudden like picture of people?
0: Yeah, <laughs> like... let's go. <laughs> yeah, so so thank you, first of all, for wanting to meet with me in the first place and talk about Zelda. Like I still feel very new to the space and uh, I'm still learning a lot, as you know, and you know i was super excited to see your name because i just wanted to talk to you in general but like especially since we have this concentrated interest in all things hyrule and beyond um i usually start with asking people just like what's what's your favorite zelda game and, and why
1: oh my gosh so because uh, it's kind of weird because like i kind of played them out of order at first now as a kid it has to be Ocarina of Time because that was like the first real game that I played at first, you know, you unwrap your N64 and boom, there it is. Like that was one of my first games. And then um, I went to the Game Boy World and that's when my sister and I played uh, Oracle Seasons and Oracle of Time. And then I went back to play Majora's Mask and I actually wouldn't come to appreciate Majora's Mask fully until probably when I was about 16, 18.
0: Oh, wow. Was there a particular reason? Did you go back and replay it?
1: I did because I think it was because there was a lot of emotional... Resistance to Majora's Mask. It was nothing like Ocarina of Time. It was nothing like Oracle Seasons. Nothing like Wind Waker. Um, and it presented a lot of themes that were dark, and I don't think I was ready to accept those yet. And I think a part of me related way too much to the Imp, and I was like, No, I'm not ready. Ugh, and I like ran away from it. And it just it was also a really hard game from like a kid perspective. Like there was so much pressure three days you have to rescue the world you have to save these people and it was a huge uh distance from operative time so I kind of put that on the shelf and then kind of veered to other games and then when I got older and more experienced I came back to it
0: yeah it looks like a really really tough game I don't blame you for um putting it down and being like oh this doesn't feel like the Zelda that I know because it does feel like a fever dream a little bit like especially in comparison to Ocarina um, or Ocarina I still haven't figured out which one it is I hear different things but um, yeah it's cool that you came back to it too as like a teenager uh, young adult because you kind of experience the life and um, you know you, I don't know if you have this phase. I feel like it, it goes uh, you like cute things when you're really babby and then you get to your teen years and we're all edgy and emo and then we go back to the cute magical aesthetic was that the case for you?
1: absolutely i hated pink as a kid i hated everything girly i actually rick was resisting sailor moon and all of those other themes and then when i got older i was like why did i do this and now i'm just like all in it i'm in the trenches now you can't i can't escape it
0: i'm so surprised to hear that. that's so cool because i feel very similar it's like that's your whole thing like just being a magical babe so you were like no i don't like pink yeah it's definitely like i just like blue and black that's it uh like <laughs> pink is too soft um yeah, um, we're so usually um, I can just keep talking forever, right? But uh, the whole reason that I have you here is because I want to hear hear what you feel and think and theorize about with Zelda. So, uh, did you have anything that you wanted to start with, or did I can I can take the lead there and we can go on a little journey together?
1: Yeah, I mean, let's start with let's both start with Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. Like, I guess. Um, I guess like what we both took away from the title and what we were first introduced to, because I feel like with both of us, especially with how we love things magical, I felt like the game definitely opened our eyes to a few aesthetics and story themes that we really kind of grew up with.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I can probably start because my my uh, origin story as a child with Zelda is very short, so um... I had a cousin that I would uh, go to their house for the weekend occasionally just to spend time with family. And he was like the coolest cousin ever. He had all the current game systems and like Goosebumps collections and stuff. And I just always got super excited to go over there. And he had Ocarina of Time uh, on the, you know, in 64. Uh, I think I was very babby when I played that game the first time, probably like five or six. I know I'm aging myself here, but, uh, and I remember he had made it probably to Hyrule field. And I really just wanted to play the game because the controller looked really cool. And I thought he was super cool. And I remember, um, sitting down in front of the big old TV and then pushing the C buttons. Um, and he showed me how to do this, uh, song of, uh, the sun song. Uh, Because it's not when I went back and played it as an adult, I realized that the song wasn't just automatically there. You had to know the notes and he played it for me and it became nighttime. And you know what happens at nighttime in Ocarina and Hyrule Field? It's a lot of spooky skeletons, you know, and I I just was hearing all the cute music because I think I just left the Kokiri Forest, actually. And I was like, oh, this game's so cute. And, you know, I'm a little babby who has no fear of video games yet. And I just remember the like scoff was like popping out of the ground. And like, you know, back then those were HD graphics. So, you know, and I'm a little like kindergartner 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 uh, first <laughs> grader and i i just remember screaming throwing the controller and like crying on the floor like oh i don't like this game anymore and I, I think i put it down uh indefinitely then um and yeah i played a bunch of other games but it it really took me to my pretty much current age to get back into zelda what about you
1: Oh, gosh, for me, yeah, kind of the same thing (laughs) for, like, when I first played the game, like, I completely dived in because it was like our new game for N64. And um, I pretty much stayed up, like, all night on, like, a Sunday night playing it. And the anxiety that you feel the moment you go to Hyrule Field and the, the time... The chase that you have to do to prevent yourself from being locked out with those ghouls—that was also a moment when I was like, "Never mind, I can't play. It's too scary." Because like all these skeletons were fighting me, um, and I kind of just didn't want to end up leaving the high, um, the Kokiri Forest because I loved Surya. I loved the other Kokiri children, and I—that's kind of like where that game took a hold on me. And playing through Ocarina of Time, just in general was kind of kind of a starting point for me realizing that I was going to be playing video games because back then in the 90s, like, girls playing video games was hard. And video games in general were kind of weird to talk about in public. You couldn't talk to your friends like, hey, I just bought this new game. It's so cool. If you talked about that at school, it was pretty much like you were asking to have a wedgie or something like that. And so it was one of those games where I felt so much, but I couldn't, I didn't have anyone to talk about it with except for my sister. And so it felt nice to be able to just dive into a world for a little while and not surface. So I was suddenly involved with exploring who Link was. I was really invested in sneaking around the castle and finding Zelda for the first time. And just discovering the music and the songs and what they meant as far as like what type of imagery that they bought. And I think that's probably why the music for me is stuck to me for so long. Like the... yeah. The song of storms is probably a song that I'll never forget for the rest of my life.
0: It's playing right now on the playlist. I'm listening to this. So funny that you said that. it's literally playing. It just started a few moments ago. <laughs> wow. I'm um, timing. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of music, what's your, is that your favorite song? The song of storms,
1: the song of storms and then the below fire. Yes.
0: It's so good. So good. Um, yeah. I, I it's funny that you say that because, especially thinking of the one of the points you made about the Kokiri Forest, I think just given our our magical inclinations, um, it makes sense that we'll be most drawn to that because it's you know it's soft and pretty innocent and it's very whimsical there and it's just when you hear I don't know about you but when I hear The Lost Woods even though if I think about it more deeply it's kind of a dark song because it's it's leading you to where you're supposed to go but if you don't know that you'll just keep hearing it over and over again until you just you know become an undead a little school kid yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but you know when you're when you hear it it's just oh this is like a sweet melody but if you hear it in other instances of the game like I don't know if this is the case for you but um as some of the songs have endured throughout different uh chapters of this series like I I do have like like it's almost like the feelings stick along with them right so when I hear you've played through Twilight Princess right Yes. So you know how you hear um, the Lost Woods theme in Twilight Princess again? I, I got scared. I was like excited because I was like, oh, sorry, uh, my beloved. But then I was like, wait a minute, what's going on? Um, what does uh, it mean? Yeah, what does it mean? It's like that sense of suspense. And I think that uh, Koji Kondo was so brilliant for being able to paint that sort of uh, imagery through music. Like I think that's really what makes this series so special. Um yeah. and yeah, sorry, I'm like going all over the place now. Um, it's okay.
1: I'm the same way, too. I'm just like, all of these things. you know about all of them,
0: yeah, we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about all of them. that's that's what we're here for. we're not we're not here all sh- strict and and rigid, right? We're just like a natural natural flow of things., um, And you had asked how it influenced our maybe you didn't say aesthetic. Can you remind me of how you worded that? like how Ocarina influenced us. Yeah, like
1: influenced like how how we would view the world, like if we took that touch of whimsy with us in our hearts and um, like what we preferred. Because back then again, like when we grew up, like things like cottagecore, fairycore, These type of things weren't really, like, named. They just had themes. And even then, like, things like goth clothes and things like that were just coming out. So the idea of, like, having fairies and running into the woods without any direction, like, these sort of, like, whimsical acts were not really, quote-unquote, of the norm. So it's like...
0: It was kind of punk in a way yeah you know what I mean like or or even just like thinking like all these things that we like even though they have this magical theme or it's something that's seen as very cute or charming like it was alternative like you had mentioned before talking about video games was kind of a weird thing Um, and it's a lot more normalized now which feels really good um, but it's still like I know when I'm at work, if if one of my colleagues isn't a gamer and I'm coming in before I even say good morning, I'm like, hey, did you see there's a Nintendo Direct? And they're just like, no. hello, are you OK? But even especially in the 90s, um, especially in the 90s, uh yeah. wedgie or just generally getting bullied i know that i got outside of my little gamer crew which luckily my close very close friends were all gamers too and it was just like a little crew of like black and brown gamers at my school that's awesome Um, yeah i was really lucky in that sense where there was like a little little cluster of us and i would go to their house after school and we would just play um they had a gamecube so i played a lot of like GameCube games um but that was like my safe haven because everyone else was just like really really mean um especially in high school I did not have gamer friends in high school but I did have an inflated sense of self-love because I'm like all right I'm too steep in this nerd stuff like even if you're gonna be mean to me I still like it whatever um and now look at us we're freaking gamers talking about (laughs) games yeah and it's making us so happy and fulfilled and we're meeting other people that can relate to us and I think that's really awesome um yeah I I really feel like even though I wasn't totally aware of it at the time Zelda influenced me just in in a lighthearted kind of sarcastic way having trust issues with games (laughs) um just with like oh this seems so sweet and cute and oh no actually this is a horror game or you know um not as much with Zelda, but other Nintendo games really taught me a lot of values that I stick to with my, with my friendships and uh, things like that in general. Like I can think to uh, like Harvest Moon specifically. For uh, I always joke like, yeah, you know, I'm on the spectrum and I didn't know that growing up, but Harvest Moon and The Sims 2 taught me social skills. It's like if you talk to people about things that they like, um, and remember their birthday and are nice to them every day, like they'll be fond of you. And it's like, oh, I can do that. I might not know how to talk about other things that people know, but if I can remember that and it'll make me less anxious and um, just being true to your friends and like sticking by their side, even through tough times or... Uh, being cur- uh, courageous enough to stand up to you know great evils like I think especially as like BIPOC folks um, we kind of have to do that from a very young age even if it's unconscious and I think seeing that mm-hmm. translated in video games was really affirming to me even though I didn't have that language at the time it's like you see um, you see all these characters like go through difficulties and you know they have their friends. Um, And even if, you know, they get overpowered or beat up, they still get back up and stick together. And I don't know. I think that's what I love so much about gaming in general is um, it's like overcoming adversity, but also you can have a good time too. It's not all doom and gloom, but I don't know if you feel similarly.
1: No, I feel the same because it definitely like takes you through the motions of like different stages of life as well. And, um, unfortunately when I had the game, I was like in a school where I was like the only black girl in school
0: yeah.
1: and it was actually pretty funny. Cause like, I was going through like the swim school time where I would just, when I first played the game, I actually almost like refused to leave the cook forest for like the longest time. And yeah. this was when I lived, um, out like in the country. So I would go out camping and I'd go out in the woods all the time. And, mm it made me feel like I was a cookery kid. So I would go in there and I'd look for like gossip stones and I'd leave like little notes of like gossip everywhere so people could find it. And then like-
0: That's amazing.
1: It was, oh God, like I was barefoot. I was a mess. My hair was like all messed up, but it was really fun. And eventually like, yeah, I had to finish the game. So I did go to the Hyrule field and um, funnily enough, I'm 32 now, and I have still not. I still not defeated the Shadow Temple
0: in Ocarina. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you have time. You have time. I believe in. It. It's very scary, but you are <laughs> you were a gamer. You are a gamer. I believe in you. Yeah, I, we can we can get on the call, and I'll I'll be. Uh, I can cheer you on if you need. But you can do it. You can do it. I believe in you. <laughs> Oh,
1: thank, you. thank you. The funny part was, is that in order for me to beat the game, I couldn't get past that. So what I did is that I contacted another kid at school and I was like, I'm going to call him Dakin. And I was like, <gasps> Dakin. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, you play games, right? And he goes, shh, shh, not so loud. I oh, like, Okay. I was like, meet me in front, meet me in front of the school at like seven o'clock before anyone comes. He goes, okay. So we come to the, in this front lawn and it's like not even light out yet. It looks like we're about to trade nefarious things, but instead I trade him legend of Zelda.
0: Oh my God. Oh, your cart? Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. He got me past the
1: shadow temple. And then, yeah, the next day I was like, do you got the game? He was like, yeah. And he's like, (laughs) (laughs) yes, we
0: got the game back. He was your dealer, like you go. you <laughs> called in reinforcements. that is that is big brain strategy, actually. Like we can't do that these days. You gotta have them come over, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. so much. I love that it was like a secret mission too just like, hey, I keep your voice down like I don't play games. What are you talking about? And <laughs> um, it beats one of the most difficult parts of the game Dang. yeah. Oh. um, are are y'all still friends or was that just like uh, babby Otome like uh exchange like, what deal? like don't look at me in the eye yeah we know each other after this oh that was it there you go you know nice nice and clean I, I love that um yeah um and when in thinking in um how that impacted you as a child were you ever able to make um friends that were into that series like as you got maybe towards playing Majora's Mask or is this something that you kind of kept with you into adulthood and that's how you forged these friendships
1: I kind of killed it to my chest for a little bit because as I got older um, we ended up you know how you always meet some people that are into the games, but then the moment that they figure out that you're a girl, they have to grill you. They're well, have you played this? And do you know how to even beat this without using the cheat codes? Or do you know how to, you know, roll so many times in Majora's Mask to go across the leap paths? And that was probably the hardest part was when I got older and went to other schools is that I had to navigate and realize that that was not healthy. So I eventually found um, other people that held my morals to that and I it was easy because like you said Legend of Zelda and other video games definitely set us the standard. Sailor Moon set the standard for my morals and also Toonami um, yeah. day when you'd have Tom say those I- inspirational words throughout the commercials like that helped a lot and that's kind of where I had, that's how I grew up like they grew I mean TV and the internet and yeah. video games, they raised me so it was a mess but i I went somewhere
0: (laughs) and i do feel like they teach really good values in in a lot of those series that we loved growing up like especially in the 90s i feel like there there was like a, a sweet spot for young adult and children's media where it was like hey the world's a little bit out of control but here's like this pocket world that you can go into that's you know you got superhero sort of motifs but also on a more personal level like here's how you can keep good people around you and for what's right and also just remember to laugh when you need to like i loved the sailor moon uh and the english dub you remember like they would have the lesson after the episode of like yeah you don't blow your friends off just because you got a crush or like you know just stuff like that and um i really a lot of those things are still stuck with me to this day and i'm glad that you had that too because especially like um for like Uh, marginalized folks um, even though we know those things like in the back of our mind it's nice to have it reinforced in media that feels relatable and not just with uh, the adults in our life who you know maybe are a little bit chaotic um uh Yeah, like it's nice to actually talk about this because one of my hopes for this podcast overall was not just to talk about the game, but the people that enjoy them and like how it shaped them into the individuals they are now and the kind of community that they have. So thank you for really getting us started with that conversation Um, because, yeah, I'm not a fan of gatekeeping. I actually think it's kind of cringe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like of all the bad behavior that we see in the gaming community, I'm like my brother in Christ. No one thinks that we're cool. What are you doing? (laughs) We're all dorks. Let's just be dorks together. Let's be dorks together. Like we'll have more fun. Like if you saw someone out on the street wearing a Zelda shirt, you wouldn't be like, oh, that person doesn't even like video games. You'd probably be like, holy crap. This person knows a game that I like and want to talk to them. Right. Like let's translate that over to online spaces or in our conversations at conventions and stuff like that, you know? Um, And I'm really sorry that you had to experience that, but I like being a gamer my whole life, I I big relate and it it did make me a little bit spicy at times um, where, you know, I decided I was just gonna get really good at games. Um, And now it's more me realizing that if anyone has gatekeepy behavior, Or wants to exclude people from a series that they like I just remind myself that's a them problem not me because they didn't even work on the game so what are they talking about anyway
1: yeah I remember you mentioning the Majora's Mask part
0: yes so I was asking you um, as someone who has that series as one of your favorite titles in Zelda Mm -hmm. what what happens in that game because I'm very lost and confused and um I, I'm i hoping that we can get some, some of the lore theories that you have uh, pieced together. Say, I, I couldn't really sleep yesterday because I just kept thinking about the moon. and oh. Yeah. Oh,
1: gosh. So, like, um, so have you been able to, like, play all the way through it? Or, like, has it kind of been, like, one of those situations where it was, like, there's so much thrown at me. I kind of don't know how to dissect it sort of thing or...
0: So I did use the power of YouTube to help me out with this because I wanted to make sure that I could talk with you about Majora's Mask. So I watched Zelda Universe's fan dub of Majora's Mask and I made it to Act 5, which puts us right to I believe where you finish the quests with the Gorons. I don't know if there's like a particular order that you have to go through in that game, like in Ocarina. But I I think that I'm about two thirds of the way through. Um, and I do I do know the big reveal at the end, so you more or less can talk about whatever um, in Majora's Mask. We're all good.
1: Oh, perfect. Yeah, I mean, um, with like Majora's Mask in general, like it is very much a fever dream because the plot itself is kind of like straight to the point. Like Link is trying to find Navi and he ends up getting involved in another adventure, which involves a skull kid who was in Ocarina of Time who got his hands on something that he shouldn't have. And essentially though, throughout the entire game, um, you're dealing with, loss and mourning and tragedy and regret and like negative a lot of negative emotions and there's also a big theory that the entire game goes through stages of grief um, because either people believe that Link is in purgatory or that the characters that he interacts with go through also different stages of grief because like you'll meet... A, you'll meet a boy who was a man once, but he can't look at his fiancee the same way because he's a child and he can't confess to his lover that he's a child because the imp cursed him. Um, there's a Deku butler who lost his son and has no idea that he's gone until like the very end of the game. And then um, there's the imp himself who is plagued by the mask who is like possessed by it actively and it's he does all of these vicious things to these people that link tries to help and the imp did it because he was in a state of struggle like he thought that his friends were not his friends anymore and he lashed out and he got a little clingy and when they kind of set some boundaries i'm gonna say they set their own type of boundaries he kind of reacted and so he started doing these awful things and trying to bring the moon down on determina and destroy everything because to him it's like well if no one can be my friend then I don't want anyone else to be happy and that was kind of like the driving reason why he was acting that poorly
0: Yeah, I definitely did notice multiple instances of grief through what we had seen so far. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because I feel like in a way that's an underlying theme throughout the Zelda series is like this sense of loss. And I appreciate the way that it's presented in Majora's Mask because especially if we're, we're thinking that maybe the first of the 3d zelda games ocarina of time was staged to age with you know the 90s generation like that would have put us in what middle school going into high school uh, age and i I i know for myself personally i can definitely relate to feeling a little bit too much for some of my friends or even like an outcast and feeling very angry and wanting to lash out um As uh, you mentioned, and you don't have to answer this question if it's a soft spot, but is that something that you could relate to when you were uh, a teen? Is that why the series stuck out to you?
1: Yes, especially like as a kid, because I think I was like halfway through the game when I was when it first came out. And at that point, like I related too much to the amp just because I also was really angry at the world because it was still hard for me to just exist. And I just wanted to hurt others because they hurt me really bad. And I just felt really alone a lot. And I was also tackling what I wouldn't know would be ADHD. And so people would say, you're lazy, you're this, you're that. And I knew that I wasn't, but I didn't understand why I wasn't. As coherent, like why my brain goes five different directions? Why can't I get any projects done? It made me feel like a freak and I felt like a skull kid. I felt like I just didn't belong anywhere.
0: Yeah. So you probably um, felt some comfort once you uh, came back, hopefully, and realized that, um, you know, you do have places that you belong and people that care about you and that uh, what you were dealing with was you know out of your control and that you just needed that extra support much like the school kid and uh, Majora's right
1: yeah I found my own tattle and tail and they you know guided me out of the dark and when I readdressed Majora's mask again I was able to finish it and I really enjoyed it and it was at at a more lighter heart um, method at that point I think I was like 18 19 Um, and that's kind of like when everything else kind of happened. Like, for example, I noticed like Mikhail and I was like, oh, he's such an attractive like rock star. Am I a monster cuddler? And Oh my gosh. <laughs> he was kind of like the gateway because I remember there's like a journal I have buried away somewhere where I just write about how hot he is and I'm like, girl, he like died in like five minutes. Like, what are you doing?
0: <laughs> Short, short-lived romance, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Funnily enough,
1: I played again when um, COVID started. And oh my gosh, playing the game again during or after COVID is such a weird experience just because it's so relatable. And I it doesn't mean to be, but it is because the moon is COVID and It's funny because there's like conversations with the townspeople arguing with the mayor, talking with the soldiers. They're like, what are you talking about? We can still have the carnival. There's no need, the moon's never gonna fall. It's just a weird uh, conspiracy theory. And the soldiers are like, what are you talking about? There's no tourists around. They're not gonna come here because the moon's literally gonna fall on us. And the mayor is trying so hard to just keep face. And there's people that are wanting to run. And then there's people who don't believe that it's true. They're just choosing not to acknowledge that it exists, much like how we treated COVID.
0: I never would have put that together. I love that so much. It's just that sense of there's this catastrophe that's occurring and just the different ways that people cope with or try to not cope with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I want to I wanna know more of your thoughts on that. Um, how... How did that impact you? Were you were you able to find some peace in that at all? Um, because you saw other people experiencing things in this game that you remembered.
1: Yes, because at one point when we kept seeing people still going out in public, still not wearing the masks, I felt really mad because it was like, how can you disregard people's safety and health like that? And then I realized that, like Link. He was going through his own problems, but hating and holding on to that negative feeling, you would become like the imp. You'll become like the other characters that were touched by tragedy. And it's just no reason to hold on to that hate. You can learn, which is another huge theme with Majora's Mask, is forgiving and understanding and accepting failure. So I was able to kind of move past the idea of just trying to judge people who didn't that's just their business and I couldn't change it so I'm not going to anymore but I was trying to keep myself safe and it also opened my eyes to to people who were still forced to work in those conditions like the mailman for example we thought he was like a funny quirky character because he just loved his job so much that he would still deliver mail at the end of the world but as an adult I saw him as a As a trapped soul because like like many of the other people working in fast food or like hospitals and things like that he didn't have the choice to leave he wanted to leave but he would say again and again that he still had to help people until his boss told him so the government whatever society he was in refused to let him go and there were so many other characters in there like Anju and the Indiegogo performers and Pamela's dad and the Deku butler, like these people were still working, even though the world was about to end. And it didn't matter, they felt trapped. The idea of not having a job, the idea of not getting paid was more frightening than having their life ended by this moon. And that was kind of like, wow.
0: That's why this series is so amazing, though, right, because it it, it applies uh, these issues and lessons and challenges and um, celebrations that we experience outside of the game um, and puts it in this fantasy world. So it's almost maybe you don't feel this way, but I feel like it's easier to have that compassion for both ourselves and the world around us when we can kind of see it in a different perspective. Like you said, you were able to have more forgiveness, not just for yourself, for feeling angry and wanting to feel safe and feeling that other folks' actions maybe weren't reflective of that same sentiment, but also understanding that they have their reasons. Um, and motivations for moving the way they do through the world, um, or even obligations like people that were essential workers and couldn't stop. Um, and I think it's really like the, the shows how impactful the Zelda series is, um, Because it's not just like a game where you just go and beat up things, which would be fine, but it really is legendary in that way. And that it's the way that I understand legends is they're partially meant to tell a history of events, but they're really meant to teach a lesson. Like the way that I grew up listening to, like what is it the mother goose fairy tales and all that sort of thing like yeah they're telling this like whimsical story but they're really underneath the surface they're teaching you these like valuable lessons um so I'm really grateful that uh like you shared that with me because I first of all I would have never connected that to like some mass world event but that's what it is like the world is literally about to end and people are trying to figure out what to do in Majora's Mask um and in many ways, the pandemic has felt almost like a fever dream. Um, yeah. And I guess I'll figure out at the end of, of Majora's, like, how how that all turns out. Um, yeah. You mentioned earlier, too, that there's a theory that Link may be in purgatory.
1: Yes. Um, it's kind of like one of those things where it's kind of like tongue-in-cheek just because... They go through, like, the entire game and they think that Link just is gone, like he's in purgatory. Because after that, like, no one hears of Link anymore. And he's separated in this strange world where he's trapped in forever of three days. And then there's, like, these chapters of the game where they think that he's going through these stages of grief because he lost Navi. And it's really weird because like is not really spoken about in the game itself. We only know that he's looking for Navi because of the box. And then back of the box, he says it's, he's looking for a friend and you're like, okay. And it's gone to theorize that either he's gone, which is the reason why Navi like left for no reason, operative time. Cause she didn't say bye. She just peaced out. Um, so they, pe- some people think that he like did pass on or some people like to believe that, Link himself is going through stages of grief of losing Navi. Um, So he's sort of like the separate parts of the games are like expressing how he's resenting and then accepting. And then, you know, there's the bargaining um, before he ultimately accepts of his untimely end. So it's one of those things where like it feels like it could fit, but... Of course, for continuing like for continuous sake, I maybe it's like one of those things where like you may <laughs> never know, because it's like the way Legend of Zelda words their phrases and their characters and even in lore books, like it's never quite like you're not really quite sure if they really are for really digging too deep into it. But it's one of those fan theories where you're just like, I can see that.
0: yeah. And I don't know about you. I, I like people to go as deep into their theory crafting and lore keeping as they want. Cause um you probably have heard me mention this before, but we uh believe in like open lore where you can explore any idea um that you want as long as it's not like a harmful one, you know, towards like a, a group of people or things like that. Um and yeah, I, I really want to get more into that purgatory theory, especially when thinking about the theology of the Zelda series, because they bring so much inspiration for the various cultures that uh, exist, not just in Hyrule, but beyond, from uh, IRL lore, or history as we know it. <laughs> um, and I, I know that one of the earliest Zelda games had a lot of motifs centered around Christianity. I don't know very deeply on that um, information on that topic. I just know that I had seen some images um, where there's like a cross that Link is praying to. I think it may have been on one of the shields, but I actually picked up a book. Um, I don't know how much free time you have in your day-to-day life, but I really recommend it. It's um, The Legend of Zelda and Theology. I think it was about 16 bucks or something online. Um, But yeah, I think uh, it'd be Once I get through that, I'm going to probably be all up in your DMs, like, Uthomé, you were right about Purgatory. Like, wait, we got to look more into this or uh, (laughs) something like that. Um, Yeah. Uh, what, What are some other, other like brain bending, like word theories that you have in the series or were those like the main ones?
1: So another one, and this one just stuck with me for the longest. It was when Ocarina of Time happened and it was the Forest Temple. It remains my favorite just because it hit on all the aesthetics I would grow up with in the future, like the um, gothic horror type theme, the whimsical forest, and then the kind of just the opulent decadence that the that this weird home brought. And it was weird to me because every single other temple that would follow after the forest temple was literally that, it's a shrine. Like the spirit temple was literally a temple to worship the sun goddess. And then there was the water temple that was literally set to worship the water spirits. And then you had the shadow temple, which was like a dungeon for those that crossed the Hyrule family. But the forest temple itself was a mansion. There was the maze, there was the guards that scared the crap out of you there was the entrance and there was a door and then you had these hallways these stairs these rooms and i'm thinking like this is someone's home and there was the post sisters and like the portraits and the way that i look at the temple now With like the height of the walls and things like that and how it was placed, including like the weird maze part. It makes me feel like it was like maybe like a defense system, like maybe an old abandoned estate of like a Hyrulean family that was like trying to defend like a certain section of Hyrule that was just overgrown and taken over.
0: I'm having a brain blast right now because I'm so glad that you said that because okay there's multiple things but i I need to get this one out first so in twilight princess i don't know if you remember i forget what his name is but there's there's um it's it's once you get to to telma's uh bar and when you're wolf link you have to go up and into that hidden area where there's the gold littered everywhere and then there's a portrait of a family that Um, at least where I am in Twilight Princess, I don't know who that family is, but that's connected to the Poe sister simply because the person that was cursed was cursed by Poe. And the, the forest temple in Twilight Princess looks even more like it could have been some sort of like chateau or something like a, a fortress, um, and I was I wanted to ask that the other day when I was playing it, but I think there was so much going on with that cutscene at the time that I just was like, I'm gonna save that. So I'm so glad that you brought that up because that can mean so many things like it could have been something Hylian but it could have been like another another royal family that was connected to Hylia too right because Mm -hmm. of its location and um, Saria is looking over it and you can only get there if you are familiar with the music of the Lost Woods Um, and there are people who I, and you can correct me on this if my recollection of Ocarina lore is incorrect but people try to go through the Lost Woods in search of a treasure and then they they get lost and they you know once they get lost they become um, they get skull kids if they're children and they become skullfos if they're adults is that right yes mm-hmm. Um. so that makes me wonder like who which uh, and if this is answered in the series like you feel free to chime in but it's like well, I have two questions Who's this real family that may or may not be the kingdom of Hyrule that uh, oversaw the forest temple? Um, two, who's this magical force that's doing this to people who are trying to get there? And three, oh my God, here's the kingdom, please come out because I need to know if this is answered. <laughs> I know there was a lot. but.
1: No, because I'm still looking for the answers myself just because, like, Ocarina of Taunt, like, because I theorize that... Every Legend of Zelda game, the Lost Woods is a little bit different. I don't know if it's always going to be the same, same Lost Woods because the lore about like the Skull Kids and the Skull Fids and like everything else, it only sticks with Ocarina of Time. No one else has mentioned that. And I'm sitting here like, okay, and Saria and her song is familiar to several games, like, for example, and I think it's Wind Waker or either Breath of the Wild or Wind Waker. But there's a part where Link performs Surya's song or a certain song with like a Kokiri kid. And that was when they turn into those like little koroks I think they're called. I think that's in Breath of the or
0: Wind Waker. Oh, that's in Wind Waker. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because they transform. So those kokri children become those little tree koroks, and then they perform. And then um, the imp in Majora's Mask says, hey, you smell a lot like that kid who taught me this song. And it's Saria. And so I'm wondering if Saria knew that family and if she protected that forest, like if that was her home, because every other Lost Woods in that game is not quite the same as Ocarina of Time. Like the Gossip Stones, the Skull Kids, the monsters, the type of beasts that you see there, it's not the same at all, and it's so weird.
0: It is very weird, especially when you start thinking about, um, Cordial brought this up when I spoke with them, about pocket dimensions, and I tend to... Dare a little bit clearer of the timeline theories and the way that those split off just because I feel that there's an abundance of people that have had conversations around that and I want to focus on other aspects of the series, but mm-hmm. in this regard, uh, just acknowledging that there was some sort of distortion that happened in Ocarina that has impacted everything else. Um, This series, so I'm glad that you brought that up. That um, Saria just is almost like a whisper of herself and Wind Waker, and then creates like this other race of uh, creatures, the Koroks that I love with my entire heart. Um, and especially because we see them again in Breath of the Wild. And when you meet your very first Korok in Breath of the Wild, they have a very interesting dialogue with you which i didn't notice until i watched someone playing Breath of the wild and a fresh uh save and i do want to pull that up if you can just give me a second uh yeah, absolutely. because i think that that's really important also one thing that really keeps me up at night ultimately is when i go back and look at either the beginning of ocarina of time there's and i want to Okay, my brain. You have ADHD, too, so you understand. So, um... Deco's conversation with you at the very start of Ocarina of Time is very interesting. Um, like, if he, I don't know if many people remember the first thing that he says to you, um, but I'm gonna, I, I have the script because I'm unwell. Um, beginning of Ocarina of Time... Okay, the very first thing that happens once you get through and you see the uh, Kokiri forest, Deku Tree says, In the vast deep forest of Hyrule, long have I served as the guardian spirit. I am known as the Deku Tree. And when I think of guardian spirit, I think of kind of like all knowing, all powerful, um, because in order to be a guardian of something, like you do need to be able to defend it in a way, even if it doesn't mean that he's, you know, gonna uproot and like pull out a giant sword and you know start fighting ganon or anything i think that he's got this very like quiet but enduring strength um and that's important to birth of the wild but but after i find this other quote that i'm uh (laughs) talking about um and i know that people know that deku is ancient and very important to the series but i think Mm -hmm. that i almost see him if i'm bringing this into um like other series that i really love that i'm sure were inspired by um or the legend of the the legend of zelda series was inspired by as i think lord of the rings like deku's almost like gandalf in a way you know he's ancient and sage-like and very powerful, but he's meant to be more like a guide and a protector. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, right, Sorry, what are you saying?
1: Oh, no, I said I agree, like, 100% protector, because, like, do you remember when the kids would say, Grandpa Deku said, we can't leave the forest or we'll die? Yeah. Like, we'll. Just, and as you think about it, like, even at the end of the game, you see the kids leave, like, they're on the field yeah. celebrating. And I'm wondering, like, was that your way of just like joking with them or maybe saying they're not immortal anymore? But there was like a gossip stone that said um, there was a Kokiri kid that left and became something else. And was like, okay. but it felt. Yeah, he's definitely a protector. Like he protects those children and things. But I think he's like mischievous, just like Gandalf, because he says like some things like that. So you're just like,
0: hmm. It's a little bit misleading almost like he he's not showing the full the full picture. Um one for sure. Oh I can't find the script here. I'll, I'll have to look it up later. I'll uh, future editing Nimbly will will mention it here. But it's basically along the lines of <clears throat> they refer the Koroks refer to themselves as the children of the forest, very much like the Kokiri. And I know that there are many fans of the series that think that the Koroks are direct descendants, whether or not that's explicitly mentioned throughout the series, I'm not at this moment aware of, I'm sure someone will be able to correct me on that, but in thinking of how creatures in Zelda may have transformed throughout time, uh, or maybe they always looked a certain way, like one thing that I think is maybe the Kokiri took that more humanoid shape, um, and that was... Deku's magic so maybe Link didn't feel so out alone, outcast or alone yeah yeah. and I, I don't have much to back that up other than I think that, that would be really cool if that were the case because Deku's one of my favorite characters but also in thinking of how Deku exists in Breath of the Wild he's like this cherry blossom tree and the connection that I've made that I'm sure is a reach but I made sure I did yoga before I called you <laughs> is uh we see the Deku sprout at the end of Ocarina of Time which that was the point where I was able to hold it together like through that cutscene but once I saw baby Deku I lost it I was, I was, it was ugly crying I was you know um but thinking that the Deku that we see in Breath of the Wild is him like 10,000 years uh in the future and if I'm gonna like jump even more off of that I'm like oh wait well does that mean that like the cherry blossom tree in Satori Mountain is connected to Deku is maybe like the guardian spirit like that's like Deku when he's not a tree like I don't know that's that's definitely going way 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 beyond um but I started to say all of that to say I think that after the events of Ocarina, things kind of split off and were distorted with all the universes that exist in the subsequent Zelda games and Breath of the Wild is kind of that honing in. Um, and I wanted to know what you felt about that and what that means for Tears of the Kingdom.
1: I agree because like, I know a lot of people are obsessed with keeping it as a timeline. Like it's like a, a you know, from A to B. And I don't agree with that at all. Cause I know that the lore book tried to do that. And I'm like, It's that's not how it is. Because if anyone knows like things about time, Doctor Who, whatever shows, time's not a straight line. It's all wibbly wobbly as he, Doctor Who would say. Mm -hmm. And I, in my head, it's imaged like the tree of Yggdrasil, which is in lore, just this giant tree that lives and is pretty much the earth. And its tree branches spread everywhere. To me, that's the Deku tree. An Ocarina of Time is like that Yggdrasil tree where it spreads out. And all the other games are the other types of roots, because there's always consistent characters. There's always consistent themes and we'll always see different characters come back. Um, Especially in Twilight Princess, you will see a very familiar person, but you will not realize it until towards the end, I think. And to me, that's what I feel like Tears of Kingdom will be. I think Tears of Kingdom might bring that all back because I think we wandered so far away with different games. But I think Ocarina of Time is like the centerfold, the the real, I guess, seed of life that brought every other game to exist in its own realm. But I think Tears of Kingdom will be going back to that original route that gave life to everything else to the Legend of Zelda series.
0: I love that so much, especially when I think about uh, the end where we have that moment with Zelda and she explains that she can more or less... Affect time and the universe using the the power of the ocarina, and mm-hmm. I okay. So a part of me feels like I'm going to d-word if we see an ocarina appear in Tears of the Kingdom, but a part of me is hoping that we get some sort of musicality or just like an instrument in Tears of the Kingdom that affects the world around us because. We don't really have that in Breath of the Wild. And a part of me thinks that it's because, um, well, I have a lot of ideas around that because it's my understanding that Tears of the Kingdom was originally going to be developed as some sort of expanded DLC for Breath of the Wild. But also, um, I think that the magic that Zelda has is very weakened. In, in this next game and um what that's going to mean if ocarina is the baseline like the root of all of this if the person who is keeping that together Zelda is weakened or worse destroyed like how is how is that gonna impact our experience in Tears of the Kingdom? Like I um yeah yeah that's that's really been keeping me up at night. Um yeah
1: it's been the same because I'm sitting here like how far we're going to go because I've realized like when we went to Breath of the Wild we don't have a lot of things which is still a wonderful game I love that game to pieces but now I'm thinking like what about the pose what about the spirits what about the Kokiri like what about the Zora like how and now that we have Ganon like what type of Ganon are we going to have this time. And is he going to be aware of like his previous lives from the different games that happened as well? Because Final Fantasy VII Reunion did that a little bit with our bad guy Sephiroth. So I'm wondering, will they do the same with Ganon? Will Ganon not just be the one dimensional note that he was in Green of Time? Because he evolved. And in Wind Waker, he was very, uh, I don't want to say he was sympathetic, but he had more depth to him than normal. So I feel like I'm hoping in Tears of Kingdom that not only do we get an instrument, but maybe Ganon has a little bit more heft to his his
0: existence. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And I jokingly said this when I spoke with Cordial, is that my hope is that by the end of this this series that we have on the, the lore cast is that everyone's a little bit more sympathetic towards Ganon. Not, not necessarily ignoring the horrible things that he's done, but understanding his motivations and uh, having some more complexity to his character because he's, to my knowledge, he's the only character who hasn't died fully mm-hmm. in the series.
1: And his presence is so intense. Like, I don't know if you've ever played Hyrule Warriors before. Not yet. Um, oh my God, you'll love it. It's per- Like, I'm usually not into games like those, but the fact that this Crew loved Legend of Zelda so much. There's so much detail that I love. And it's funny because in this game, of course, you can be practically all the characters from every Legend of Zelda series that existed. Ganon's there, but so are the other villains and like in Skyward Sword and in Twilight Princess. But what's funny is that when all the villains come up in the storyline and they meet Ganon, Ganon is still the main baddie. Everyone listens to him. He's the king. And strangely enough, that game, not only do I love his appearance in Hyrule Wars the most, I think that's the best designed Ganon I've ever seen. Two, I felt like we got to see Ganon a bit more as like, not as a villain, but this was just militant and ruthless. And I admired that a lot because the Drudians for me, I knew that I know that technically the Drudian society itself is kind of quote unquote, kind of bad. But we never really get answers from that because we still have really great Gerudian characters, especially in Breath of the Wild, who are good people. And it's affirming for me because, oh my gosh, they're Black like me and they're gorgeous and I love their music. I love their lifestyle. But um, I'm hoping that in Tears of the Kingdom too, because unfortunately, we don't get the Gerudians in every game, that we get to see how Ganon was raised and how the Gerudians are as a society or maybe how they were as a society
0: i would felt like die if we got that you said they they do that in hyrule warriors i literally have the first one next to me i rented it from the library now i'm gonna be all all night messaging you like this game is so good oh my god (laughs) um i i love what you said about um ganon uh You didn't say this exactly, but the way that I interpret it is him being deserving of some backstory and understanding him more as just this villain who's just been in every part of the series, who has this one motivation to try to destroy the world, to take it over. But really being like this tool of war, um, both as like the uh, militant leader, like you said, but also especially when I think about how he is in Wind Waker, I think that's some of my favorite writing that I've seen in Zelda so far, because he's angry at the gods for abandoning his people. And I don't remember him saying anything along those lines in the other games that I've seen so far. Like when we see Demise, he's just wanting to take over everything. And it's not totally clear to me if that's even Ganon himself at that point or if that's just like the evil that I think may have corrupted him at some point like maybe he was this military leader who just was fulfilling his duties and then very similar to the imp in majora's mask who was corrupted by the mask like is is that something that happened to Ganon? um
1: possessing him yeah
0: yeah i believe that because why is it that his body hasn't been destroyed like to me that seems like a virus in a way that's just keeping its host alive so that it can fulfill its own like dark uh needs and yeah as much as i disagree with and think that the things that Ganon and all of his worms has done is evil, there is a part of me that almost if not a redemption, just an understanding of his character. Um, And I'm really hoping we get it into the kingdom because that's the first time from my memory and knowledge that we actually see his physical form in a game.
1: Because like when Waker we saw his human form, he was almost like a bigger guy. And then in Ocarina of Time, we see him uh, briefly as his human form. That was actually the first time we actually see him around other people, like because we see him bow to the king and he looks over at the mirror and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, we don't really ever see his human form or any types of vulnerability with him, and if I find that weird because the Triforce, there's the power, wisdom, and you know the three symbols, but power is always illustrated as bad because Ganon keeps being resurrected again and again. If power was really such a necessity, then why is it affecting Ganon that unhealthily? Why does it keep possessing him? And then also in Ocarina of Time, that was the weird thing too about the Forest Temple. So the Forest Temple... You saw those portraits of the Poe sisters and stuff. But the portraits in the basement where we fight Phantom Ganon, those pictures do not look the same as the other portraits. And a part of me feels like that is his dark magic possessing him. And I don't think all of it's Ganon Ganon.
0: Oh, that is so cool. I need to go back and look at that art because I did not notice that because I was just really frustrated with the fight. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. The environmental lore in these games makes me so happy because I, I, I've probably mentioned this before online, but I'm a big from software enjoyer and a a core feature of those games and their storytelling is in items or imagery that's just embedded into the game. And you really have to just keep a close eye on it. It's not really something that is blatantly obvious, you know? Um, And then it's when you go back and replay those games, especially with Zelda, that you notice all these things like, hey, like in Majora's Mask, I saw what looks like Farron Woods um, in one of the portraits that was in the Goron. Uh, there's there's a Goron that you can buy uh the shopkeep. I can't remember what his name is, but in the background, you see Farron Woods. To my understanding, there's like a waterfall and a bunch of palm trees, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, like how did with the Goron were over there um, why are they so far in in Death Mountain and Breath of the Wild like a part of that could just be Nintendo just changed the map or maybe they got pushed away from the beach like maybe they weren't always just in Death Mountain like ah you know um,
1: it has to feel intentional because like do you remember like in Majora's Mask when we look at the map when we look at the microscope like the telescope Death Mountain's exactly where it still was and I think In Twilight Princess, they're also the same platesmiths as well. So you have to think, like, what happened to the Goron? And the same thing with the Drudians, because, again, they're not always in every single game. It's like, what happened to them? What happened to the Gorons? Like, And the war, also, too, with Majora's Mask, um, because there's, like, two factions that were at war, and the Gorons were a part of that. And there was, like, spirits of dead soldiers that couldn't let go, and you had to fight them. And I'm sitting here thinking, like... You know, there's not a lot we know about the Gorons either or about war. We don't know about war in general with Hyrule, just that there's Shadow Temple and that they really didn't like traitors. But we only know things from Ganon's evil spread. But maybe society was flawed as it was, because if you have a Shadow Temple dedicated to that kind of punishment, something was wrong.
0: Exactly. I don't trust Hyrule. I really don't. And I, I did. I stopped trusting them. During uh, we we watched through uh, Skyward Sword and when I saw Hylia create the Sky Islands and only bring her followers with her even though the evil was plaguing the entire world I was like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on you're supposed to be protecting all life you only bring people that are dedicated to you that's kind of messed up Um, and then when I saw the Shadow Temple in Ocarina I'm like, so there's just like a pit were there people who were betrayed by the Highlands? Oh, and the Shika got kicked out of Hyrule, both in, it seems to be in Ocarina of Time, I could be misinterpreting that, and definitely in Breath of the Wild, to the point where people felt so betrayed by Hyrule, um, that were part of the Sheikah um, tribe, that they became the Yiga clan to join Ganon.
1: Yes, and you know the crazy part? The Sheikah built the Shadow Temple for Hyrule.
0: I didn't remember that.
1: Mm-hmm. They built it for them, and then I think that's when everything started happening. And then, yeah, the Sheikah were pretty much, like, wiped out at that point in Occident of Time and, like, left alone, which Zelda, thankfully, has been supporting them and things like that, which brought us to no Sheik. But, I, yeah, the Sheikah were done really wrong and knowing that they built the shadow temple and i don't think they understood that that was what it was going to be used for but i think hyrule used them and i think they continue to use them and that's why they support ganon and i think that's why the Gerudians supported like twin rova and all the sisters and stuff i think that's why they wanted ganon because they wanted their own link to stand up for them for the injustice that hyrule was doing
0: this is making me so happy that you're saying that because I feel so, it's like, such a bully. Just like, yeah, I don't trust the Hylians and I don't even think Zelda does by the time we get to Breath of the Wild because why is she struggling with her duty so much? Like, she knows something. She knows something, or at least, like, in her heart, like, feels that something is wrong because she does an Ocarina of Time. She tries to warn them. Um, And, yeah, I, I this is so affirming to me that you feel similarly, and I, a part of me almost wonders if... We feel that way and this is pivoting just slightly, but just in thinking as being of groups of marginalized people, if we're able to see the events that occur in the Legend of Zelda series through a different lens because we've experienced uh, like difficulties and oppression um, and those themes when we see them kind of glossed over in the game at least that was my experience I'm like oh it's weird that there's like the Gerudo and we don't really know much about them or the Gorons we don't really know much but we know that there was this mysterious war that happened and these are the bad guys except the only people that truly seem to be suffering post all of this are the non-highlands yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um of Mm -hmm. course it's different in Breath of the Wild but sorry what were you gonna say?
1: Oh, no, I was going to say I agree with you fully on that one. And it's like weird because I know that um, someone's going to already voice act um, Ganon. But the weird part is, is that the Druidians for me, of course, affirm me because, of course, they look like us, like they're black. And in my eyes, even though Gannon's technically green, I found it weird that a black voice actor wasn't voicing him. And again, I find it weird that he's getting punished the most. And like even the other villains from other Lord Legend of Zelda games were n- never treated as harshly as the Sheikah were, as the Druidians were, as Gor- as the Gorons were, or as Ganon were. So I'm sitting, I agree with you fully. There's definitely a part where I sat there in the game as I old- got older and I was like, this isn't fair. Why are they being treated like this? And we still get like some cool characters, like even the Zora got mistreated a lot, too. And we still get, like, a few characters of Druidians that are nice, like Nabooru and um, the newer characters in Breath of the Wild. But, like, even in um, Majora's Mask, I forget her name. I think her name's, like, Avira or something like that. She is a pirate. And she steals the eggs from Lulu from the Indiegogo's because the imp tricks her into thinking that. Which, that's the only time we really get to see the Zora and we get to chase them out with bees. And I was like, that's kind of weird like they're supposed to be smart they're supposed to be like a a more uniformed group but it feels like legend of zelda kind of treats them like the butt of the joke sometimes so i'm kind of like i'm i'm wanting more i guess and i'm hoping we get more through uh tears of the kingdom as well
0: me too especially because the the series has painted the Hylians, even if it's just in small pockets, like we've just discussed, as not a spotlessly, like, clean or uh, mm-hmm. pure society. Like, they, they're a mil- military, like, militia-based, like, kingdom. Like it's very much like, it reminds me of like the crusades and stuff like that. Like they're, you know, worshiping this, this goddess Hylia and trying to protect their domain. And they use force and power to maintain that, even though at its core, it's probably just meant to be some sort of balance in in life. I, I almost wonder if really the only balance is going to come from Hyrule falling and rebuilding a new, whatever this new world is going to be. And um, You did mention something about uh, Matt Mercer. I don't know that it's been fully confirmed that he's going to be the voice of Ganon, and I'm only saying that because I hope that he's not. I'm really hoping that he's some new dark force who, my theory is that maybe that's like a necromancer or whatever evil may have corrupted Ganon initially, because that's just my hope I could be totally wrong maybe that'll just end up being canon, and they'll do something totally different I'll still love the game regardless but a part of me because they haven't confirmed it is hoping that it's it's some um, it's like the ultimate evil um and we we get some sort of disruption in the the fabric of the universe uh, that we inhabit because we see a bunch of enemies from previous Zelda games like the Redeads are going to be in Tears of the Kingdom and there's like this creature that I thought was a dragon but it looks like one of the uh, eagles that you fight in Twilight Princess and I'm thinking that I can't recall when we've seen enemies that looked so similar in Breath of the Wild um, and if that means they're bringing everybody back and and the, the Matt Mercer's character is some big evil like witch uh, warlock or something i don't know that's my hope that's my hope at least um this i hope
1: so and like especially like bringing back um hopefully minna and like the twilight people and bringing like the twilight verse into it as well just because that was also a part of a marginalized group because yeah. They weren't bad. They just existed on the other side of the coin, which again, Zelda being the representative of wisdom did a great job bringing everything together. And I felt like... Like in Twilight Princess, Zelda was very much like, I'm tired of Hyrule.
0: And I do have to pause with the Twilight Princess because I'm 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 not quite that's the one game where I'm like, I can only talk about that a little yeah, bit. Only talk yeah, little bit. okay. Yeah. And I know you know that, but I just I was like, I, I could feel myself wanting to ask you more about that. And I'm like, no, bad nimbly, bad, <laughs> bad snom. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's cool. Zelda is such a badass in Twilight Princess. She is an ocarina too, when when I saw her revealed as the final sage, like I my mind was st- because i forgot i forgot it's in freaking smash but i forgot um so that was
1: oh yeah like especially because when she like reveals herself as chic and everything and that was the funny part too because like haruka from like sailor moon definitely like opened my eyes to the possibility of like being pansexual and not really being particular about gender affirmation but chic when I realized, so I had a crush on Sheik and I was like, oh, Sheik's so cool. He's so badass. And then when I realized that that was Zelda and I saw her throughout the game, so I was like, OK, I mean,
0: I'm <laughs> You're like, I'm looking respectfully. <laughs> no, I totally feel that. Uh, oh, gosh, I got to have you come back because I, I think I mentioned to you that I, I wanted to talk about um, the lore and Things in Zelda, but I would love to talk more about like uh, identity and like gender and sexuality in Zelda. So I hope that you'll join me when when we come back to that chapter because I feel like we could talk about that for a whole another hour at least. One hundred percent, yeah. Um, yeah, like I, I, I love your mind and the way that you've put things together, and you've gotten me thinking even more about things that I haven't even considered, like this purgatory and, like, um, like the the Gerudo, you know, being manipulated the same way that I felt like the Sheikah were, and even the Gorons and the Zora. The Rito, I don't think much of, but that's got me thinking too of like everyone who was manipulated almost by the Hylian uh, mm-hmm. kingdom. Um, and I really hope that we get that answered in, in Tears of the Kingdom. And and thinking about that, uh, I've been really enjoying asking folks this, like, what's one thing in Tears of the Kingdom, regardless of how fantastic it might seem or unlikely that you would love to have happen in the game?
1: I want Ganon and Zelda and Link to, I want them to team up. I want them to come together. As, like, representatives.
0: Yeah, like, Captain Planet with their Triforces or something, like, coming together and become one. Yeah,
1: Becoming, like, their own separate rulers, because, like, I'd love Zelda to, like, still be the center focus, because, of course, she brought everything together. But I would love Link to go back and represent the Kokiri and, like, the ancient children of the forest and what's left of them or what is part of their society now and i would love ganon to bring the Druidians back to safety and be their militant power to keep them safe and then you know to have them all like three be allowed their own platforms and not it just be link and then zelda running and things like that i want them all to just be like boom
0: yeah, they come together like Power Rangers, like <laughs> just like views or something. That'd be so freaking cool, uh, especially if I think about like how uh, when you fight Calamity Ganon and Breath of the Wild. Like, I wonder if. Uh, Ganon will have some sort of epic level energy, and you know, he's rehydrated in Tears of the Kingdom, and we see him (laughs) as, you know, who I think. And we didn't even get into this, but I won't, I will save that. I'm probably going to end up having everyone come back for a second episode, is my guess ultimately. Like, I, there's no way I can contain all of this with you into this time that we have (laughs) together, but just something that like tickle your uh, imagination, I guess, is Ganon potentially being that red haired figure in Empa's tapestry when she retells the events of the calamity. Oh you don't have to answer that. Hair. Yeah, you know and he hasn't died in who knows how long. So I'm gonna let that that just tickle your brain um and and keep you up for the next thirty-six days. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but, but but before i before i send uh send you on your your lower happy way um how can we how can we find you um on the internet like what where what do you do um and and where are you um, online
1: Uh, mostly lurking on the magical space of Twitter. I am um, at Sailor Otome and pretty much you can find me on my blog which is of the same name at WordPress. Um, I pretty much review all Otome slash Amari type titles especially those that have inclusivity and BIPOC characters and I love also love lore piecing. When Touchdrop recently just released, I just literally tore apart that and lore as well because I love notating different things. So you'll see me mostly there and you'll also see me streaming as well because I like D&D and also trying out new games. So
0: oh, you play D&D too. That's so cool. Yeah, we, we've um, plugged all of your socials and stuff in the chat and I'll be sure to include them in your uh, about um, and just... Uh, To make sure, this is future editing, Nimbly notes. um, Would you feel comfortable reintroducing yourself? So we have a nice, like uh, your name, uh, your pronouns and your favorite Zelda game or something you're looking forward to.
1: Yeah, absolutely my name is taylor otome but you guys can call me bon um or any other nicknames that you guys choose my pronouns are she her they, them is fine also my favorite uh, legend of zelda games has to be ocarina of time mostly also with majora's mask and yeah i like blogging it's my favorite thing about love and romance and social justice
0: thank you so much for joining me today i hate yeah, I I feel I feel even more excited for Tears of the Kingdom and getting to know you more because um, I think there's a reason we we cross paths online and it wasn't just because we love the same stuff. I think we have a lot of similar values and um, I just think you're really cool and I so appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk with me about this game and bring your full self to me and. Uh, everyone that listened in today and i just hope that you know that your your thoughts and ideas and creativity are uh, loved and appreciated and i hope that you continue to create um as you did today um thank you yeah yeah you're great um yeah yeah okay no, you're cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I, 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 I admire you a lot. Yeah, it's okay. We can blush together. We're, we're both, we like shoujo. This is where we have like the cherry blossom and the little, like those little things that look like sparkly bubbles around us. Just like, oh, oh, wow. And I'm like, boo boo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I'm sure we'll be in touch very soon. I'll um be sure to send all this over to you Um, if you'd like to hear how it sounds before it goes live on spotify and everything but uh yeah yeah i hope you have a good rest of your day um and yeah every everyone go make sure you go and follow follow them right now or i will i will be very sad um (laughs) but yeah thank you so much and uh, i'll talk to you later we'll talk to you too bye guys Thank you again for listening to ethereal femme or keeper the podcast i'm your host nimbly also known as your high femme comforting friend and lord keeper i want to send an extended thank you to all of my patrons who support me monthly and making sure that i can upgrade my audio equipment and buy myself a snack occasionally. And if you want to support me on Patreon as well and listen to the unedited footage and all the bloopers and editors' notes and maybe even see where I may have had a hiccup in the final edit, you can find me at patreon.com slash nimbly. I post ASMR there, personal rants, and All sorts of things, but it's a great place to find all of the unedited chaos that exists on these podcasts before they go live. You can also find me across the internet at nimbly.garden and live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash nimbly. I put out lore videos for Zelda and From Software occasionally on YouTube. That's at youtube.com slash at Nimbly with a little X at the end. And yeah, I just am so happy that I got to record this episode live, which you probably didn't notice, hopefully, during the recording. We streamed this interview and that was super fun. I do believe that once I finish the closed captioning for this episode that I'll upload that on to Patreon. So if you want to see that and see all the chat interactions and questions that came up, I highly recommend you checking that out. Um, especially for my next episode with another magical babe, which I won't spoil, but I will once again say thank you for listening to Ethereal Femme Lord keeper The podcast. If you'd like to be featured on a future episode, please, please, please send me an email at hello at nimbly.com or you can go to garden slash hashtag lorekeeper and there's a very very short form I think it takes about a minute and a half to complete and then I'll reach out to you to follow up and schedule a time to chat within about a week or so um but as of me recording this we are 15 days away from tears of the kingdom and 15 days away from me absolutely destroying my sleep schedule so thank you so much for joining me in this hype and love for Zelda and all things Hyrule please enjoy the rest of your day and thank you for listening